you have your Bibles, turn with us to Hebrews chapter number 6. Hebrews chapter number 6. I want to preach this morning on this thought. We have an anchor. We have an anchor. And we will be looking at this thought. And maybe a more fitting title would be uh, our relationship with ships this morning. But I want to preach it on we have an anchor. In Hebrews chapter 6, we'll begin reading now in verse number 4, and we'll read verses 4 through 6. If you're able this morning, why don't you stand with me to read the God's Word in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. The Bible says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the ages to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come to you in prayer this morning, and Lord, as we examine some difficult passages of Scripture, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes. God, may you reveal to us the truths of your word. Lord, may you stir up in our midst, Lord, a desire to live according to you and your plan. God, for that individual today that's here in our midst that does not know you as their eternal Savior, God, I pray that today may be the day that they come and place their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for what you've done and who you are. We will give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Here in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, dealing with this anchor, I want you to first examine this morning the abandoned ship. The abandoned ship. This passage of scripture that I just read to you is arguably the most controversial passage of scripture in the book of Hebrews. And in many ways it is the most, and many commentators will argue that it is the most difficult passage of scripture in all of the New Testament. Yet I believe that when we step back and we examine it within the context of scripture, that we can bring some understanding to this passage and what we are referring to. To really understand Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, we um, must understand and examine it within the context of who it was written to. The Bible says, when it's impossible for those who were once enlightened, in verse number 6, it drops down and says, that they fall away to renew them again to repentance. There are three primary schools of thoughts, and there are other multiple variations of those, but the first, uh, the first thought is that this is dealing with people who are saved, and there are those who say, listen, it's obvious that they're dealing with the born-again believers. Yet if that is the case, and we find that the Bible says that if it, it is dealing with born-again believers and they fall into sin, according to verse number 6, there's no more repentance for them, and that goes against Scripture as a whole, and that is not a biblical perspective. The second thought is that it's dealing with those who have claimed to be Christians, they claim to be saved, yet they are not truly born again. 
And so they have a false salvation. And there are many, no doubt, there are false converts in every church. And I dare say there are probably false converts in our midst today. People who believe they are saved because of some arbitrary prayer they prayed. And yet they have not placed their true faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. However, as we look at Hebrews chapter 6, we begin to examine it and find that this was written to the Hebrews, to the Jewish people. And so the writer is writing to them, and I will argue this morning who the writer is. Some say Paul, some say Luke, but whoever the author is, he is writing specifically to a Jewish people. With that, they, are, they were a people who were familiar with the uh, with the Old Testament laws and sacrifices that were given. And so as Paul, as Paul or Luke Rivers writing this, as he is giving the scripture, he's saying, listen, uh, I, I'm writing to you, and I understand this is from an Old Testament perspective. Matter of fact, if you look at the first five chapters of Hebrew, which we have preached over the last month or month and a half or so, uh, you'll notice every week we're quoting from the Psalms a lot because much of Hebrews is directly quoting the Old Testament. So it is specifically written to the Jews who were uh, had the Old Testament background and understanding. And here we come to Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 4, and with thinking of this Old Testament mindset in place, it says, For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift. Well, if you're writing to uh, a Hebrew, Jewish people, and you're talking about taking the heavenly gift, what are you talking about? You're probably trying to bring to them to mind the manna and quail that God brought to them, the heavenly gift there in the wilderness. Then it says, and uh, they're partakers of the Holy Spirit, the powers of the ages to come, the, and the good word of God. Uh, we find that this is really... The writer, I believe, is trying to reference back those who saw the works of God. They saw the power of God when God brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt with, with the plagues, with power and with wonder, and God did miracles, and he brought the Hebrew children out of the land of Egypt, and they, they brought manna and quail down from heaven, and God brought water out of a rock there in the wilderness, and they saw the power and the hand of God. Yet their faith is not in him. That's evident because they come to the land and they send 12 spies in to spy out the land. And what did the people say after they heard the bad report? The people said, we will not go in. We've seen the power of God. We've seen the work of God. But our faith is not in they saw the beauty. They saw the wonder. But they abandoned you. They came. They beheld. But they said, it's not for me. Bible gives us warnings that there will come a day when men, women, mankind stand before God. And in that day, there will be many people who say, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and do many wonders in your name? And God will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never do. 
There'll be those who have come to church, who have lived and grown up in church, and maybe you're here and it's one of your children or grandchildren or a family member who knows truth, who was brought to church and was proclaimed the truth of God's word, but then there come a day in, in their life where they said, it's not for me. We've beheld, we've seen what God can do, yet we would rather go our own way. The abandoned ship. They've seen. They've came. It's like they went toward the cruise ship. They said, it looks like a good time, but it's not for me. And they got off before they were left. Before they were left the port. Thalassophobia is an irrational fear of deep, dark bodies of water and that they lurk beneath the vast surface. This fear can cause someone to become scared of sea travel and being far away from land. I'm reminded, Jim in the Bible, who said, almost how persuaded you to be a Christian. I'm almost there, but there's some unknowns that I'm just not willing to address. We come to Christ, but the fear of following Him is just too great. The abandonment ship. Then we drop down to verse number seven. Here we find there is a, another type of ship that is examined. It says, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars and is rejected, and near to the curse, being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this matter. We've seen the abandoned ship. The second of all this morning, I want to look at the beach ship. It's the ship that has been on the journey, but somewhere along the line, it came ashore, it came grounded, and is no longer able to sail. It, it's the, it represents the Christian who started off their walk with God, that, that they gave their life to Christ, they got on the ship, they got on board, they started off on their journey, and everything was going okay, but somewhere along the journey, they got stuck. They're no longer able to progress. They're no longer able to go uh, forward. They're no longer to carry any cargo. They are just there, stuck, sitting in the water. They're on the ship, but they're of no use to anyone. I wonder how many Christians are like that. If I say, listen, they're unable to bear fruit. They don't bear fruit. Uh, they're just they're no good anymore. The big ship and. Yet, as sad as it is, most of us here can give you an example of that. Someone, maybe even our family, don't we? They're Christians, they're saved, they place their faith in God, but they never progressed. A couple of years ago, my wife and I were able to go down to Jekyll Island for a pastor's retreat. I think I've shared that before. And while we were there, between uh, Jekyll Island and St. Simon's and the port there, there was a ship called the Golden Ray. I think we have a picture of it this morning, um, if it, it works. Uh, it was 
uh, a ship. There you go, you'll see it up on the screens. It was a ship that the Gopher Ray had uh, a freight liner and left the port there and was headed back across the ocean. And on that journey, um, something tragic happened in Brandon Shore. It had headed out the port of Brunswick and it had been a routine, commonplace maneuver in the waters there, and then something went wrong sometime after 1.30 a.m. While making a final starboard turn in the sound before heading out to sea, um, this massive ship listed heavily to starboard. The Golden Ray listed heavy to forward and kept rolling, and eventually it capsized in the sound directly between um, Jekyll Island and St. Simon, which I said that there was nearly 400,000 gallons of oil in the fuel tanks. 4,200 vehicles in its cargo hold and 22 crewmen. All 656 feet of the ship pitched calamitously onto its port side. There was an inbound car carrier, the Emerald Ace, that scooted past the havoc and continued the port of Brunswick just as the half-submerged Golden Ray's port side hull found an easy and purchase on the Sound's sandy bars. The Golden Ray came to a shaky rest just south of the shipping channel on the Jekyll Island side of the Sound. This is actually a picture that I took for all our vacation. They can tell they built a ramp. They were trying to disassemble the ship. The ship was unable to get turned back upright. All they could do was piece by piece disassemble the ship. We went back the next year and it was all claimed that you would never know there was a ship there. It was all removed. It was a great vessel, a great ship that had great potential, that had a massive payload that it was trying to cargo across the ocean. It started off with a good journey. But it became stuck on a sandbar and rolled. And what was once a magnificent ship is now nothing more than scrap. There are many Christians who are the same way. They start ashore. They, they start their journey. and they, They're serving God. They're trying to worship Him. They're trying to bring others to Christ. They're trying to carry the good news of the gospel to a lost and dying world. But somewhere along the line, something happens in their life. They run into obstacles that are beyond their control. And it capsizes their faith in God. Oh, they never meant to come into disaster. They never meant to become shipwrecked. But somewhere along the line, they ran into an obstacle that was unmovable, that was bigger than them. And because they were not anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ the way they should be, they capsized in their journey with God. There's a drifting ship. This morning we also see for the sake of time, I'm going to jump down to verse number 18 and 20. And I apologize, Blaine is trying to catch up with me this morning. I, I'm throwing on a, on a wild chase. Verse number 18 through 20, I'm going to look at the anchor ship. Verse number 18 says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation to have fled for refuge lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, 
when Ted enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We find here that there is the handkerchief. The handkerchief. It is the shift that is in life's journey. It's doing what it's supposed to do. Yet there are storms that have come upon it. There are storms that have beaten the shift, and in the midst of this storm, this shift has lowered its anchor. It's lowered his anchor and is now solid and steadfast. It's a ship that is no longer drifting. It's no longer adrift. And, and uh, there is the drifting ship, which I skipped over. It's that ship that is out there. It's in the storm, but it's uncontrolled. The waves just beat it, and it just kind of goes through life. However, lets the winds take wherever. There was nothing to hold it steadfast and secure. But the anchored ship is a ship that has lowered its anchor down into the depths. And it has something that will hold on to. That in the storms of life, it has something that will keep it grounded and, and, and controlled. It is the anchored ship. The Bible says here that we, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Jesus Christ, he is our ship's anchor. He is the thing in our life that we must hold on to. And you know as well as I do, I don't have to tell you this this morning, but there are storms of life that come and will beat against our ship. Is there not? When we think we've got it all figured out, and about the time we think life's going just the way we want it to, when we think things are finally going okay, when, we, when we're comfortable and relaxed, we think, listen, I've got this under control, things are going my way, all of a sudden out of nowhere, a hurricane arrives on the horizon, and it begins to beat the brows of our storm and our life, and all of a sudden we're out of going, what is happening? What are we going to do? Jesus Christ, our hope and our faith in Him. It is our anchor. It is our only anchor. And we must hold fast into Jesus Christ. He's it. He's the only hope that we have. He is our only anchor for the storm. And if we're holding on to anything else, if we're holding on to our strength, our ability, if we're holding on to our knowledge, holding on to our family, our friends. These are all movable objects, but not Jesus. He's unmovable. He is steadfast and pure. He is a ship and an anchor that will hold us in our life and let the storms of life come and blow, let happen whatever may. Jesus Christ is our anchor. I've researched for this this morning looking at anchors and there have been some massive anchors that have been built throughout the ages and throughout time and, and, and uh, one particular anchor I researched was uh, 36 tons. We're talking, what, 74,000 pounds anchor, one anchor for a ship. Each link of the ring or the chain would weigh over 600 pounds per link. 
I thought, wow, that's a pretty solid anchor, isn't it? But that's nothing compared to Christ. He is our anchor that we must hold on to when life beats against us. Put out a table in Jesus Christ. When we have no other hope, when we have no other answer, we must hold on to Him. It says, which enters the presence behind the veil. And it's having hope in our faith and trust in Jesus Christ that He was the one that went behind the veil. He, he, was, he was our high priest, as we studied about last week and even this morning in Sunday school. He was the one that went behind the veil, that poured out Himself upon the altar, that purchased our salvation. Our hope, our everything is in Jesus Christ, but He is one that is steadfast and secure. I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I don't have a hope so salvation. I don't hope or desire just to go to heaven this morning. I know beyond all doubt that I have an eternity that has been settled not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ. He is my hope. He's my all. I want you to know, without Him, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And, and the reason I believe that we need revival is because we've forgotten Him. Oh, we would never admit it. We're too spiritual for that. We, we would never admit that we have problems, that we have issues going on in our life. We don't want anybody to see that we're not perfect. We're too good for that. Somebody might think I'm not as spiritual as I should be. We wouldn't dare say we don't need God, but we trust in ourselves. We wouldn't dare say, God, I don't need you. Oh, no, we that's not the spiritual thing to say, but we'll live like we don't need you. We might admit to God, he said, I'll be preacher, I'll tell God I believe him. And maybe you do, but boy, we sure won't confess our faults one to another, and we won't let our brothers and sisters know that, because they might need me to be a spiritual guy. We told God, we don't need you. And because of it, we are a ship adrift, we're, 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 we're risking drifting into a sandbar somewhere on our way that is going to capsize our ship. And our only hope is when we say, God, I want to place my faith in, in, my, in my salvation, my Savior. God, my faith is in you. And when we place our faith in God, we have an anchor that is steadfast and secure. I don't know this morning, Maybe you're here. And maybe you've never got on the ship. Maybe you've never got on board. Oh, you've been in church. You've beheld the beauty of what God can do. 
Mom and Daddy was on this ship. But are you? Preacher, I've been at port the whole time. I'm right here. I can reach out and touch this ship. I'm here, preacher. That's all I'm asking. Have you got on board? Is your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you denied yourself? Have you come before God and humbled yourself and said, Lord, I'm a sinner deserving of hell. Lord, I want to place my faith in you and you alone. That's how you get on board. There's no exception. There's no alternative. There's no way around it. Either your faith is in Jesus Christ. No one else can place their faith for you. No one else can make that choice, that decision. It is a personal thing that must happen in your heart where you say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, I need you. God, I need you. You are who you are saved. How about we just let down our hair, so to speak? And say, Lord, I just want to be honest. God, I don't have this all figured out. The storms are bigger than I am. But God, I know that I'm bigger than Lord, I understand that life is hard, but God, you're my anchor, and Lord, I want to place my faith in you. We need him. Brother Jonathan makes sure of this revival meetings that are flipping across colleges here in America, and I've read some people, with a lot of critics, and you have to just ignore the critics, but there are some people who have said, that's not true revival. Because if it was true revival, there'd be people getting saved at the meetings. I believe true revival is not for the lost and for the believers. You can't revive what's never been living to start with for the believers. We want revival. We say we want revival. We like hearing about revival. But for us to have revival in our church, in our hearts, we're going to have to take off our righteous garments. We're going to take off our garments of righteousness and say, Lord, I'm sick of myself righteousness. Lord, I want to come to you. Lord, I'm just going to reveal myself. Lord, you already see me for who I am anyway. God, I'm going to humble myself before you. I'm a sinner in need of help. That's what we need. But we won't do that because we're afraid somebody's going to see past our facade. I want to tell you something this morning. I want to fill you in. God already sees behind the veil anyway. He knows your heart. Why don't we just be real? Be honest and say, God, I'm just a person. Lord, I give my life to you. Lord, I'm going to hold on to This morning, if you're here, and I'll close. If you're here and say, Pastor, I know what you're saying, but I'll be honest with you, I've never got on board. Preacher, I, 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 I'm trying God. I want you to know, just trying God is not going to do you any good. There is no middle ground with Him. 
You either come wholly or you don't come at all. This morning, quit staring at the ship and get on board. Place your faith in him. Every head bowed and eye closed. This morning, I, I wonder who would be honest enough to say, Pastor, 